I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Welcome to Hashtag History, Episode 5. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And guess what? What, Rachel? (laughs) We are finally moving out of U.S. history. Can I just say, before you go on, that- Tell me. Thank the Lord, because I am not actually a fan of U.S. history. (gasps) That was my concentration in college. I know. I've always known that. And I always, like, you have, like, a framed picture of President Lincoln in your, like, bedroom. (laughs) And I'm totally wearing a Lincoln t-shirt right now. And that's not on purpose. No, you're not. It's not on purpose. It's because I have three Lincoln t-shirts. And they're just kind of the ones I rotate when I'm at home. Yeah, I have a Jonas Brothers (gasps) t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, for our listeners, Leah and I and a handful of other people are going to the Joe Bros concert in October when they come to Sacramento. And speaking of that shirt, Leah, I was actually going to reach out to you and ask if you had one because I need to purchase one before we go. Yeah, so um, it's a little bit longer and I'll be fine is what it says on it. Um, so Nick still had his big curly hair. Uh, yes, curly hair and all on it. To be honest, I haven't seen it in a while, so I have to go digging for it. But <laughs> Joe it, had the like side swept uh, bangs. I actually hated Joe, but I was <gasps> a Nick girl. I think we should end the episode now. You hated Joe Jonas and you hate US history. But can I just say that means we don't have to fight over Joe? Moving <laughs> on. And we don't have to fight over u.s history no no why would we need to fight over our preferences rachel it's fine okay 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 so we are getting out of u.s history which i just learned leah is happy about and um we are now moving into ancient history which is also something that i do love and i am super excited to be diving into something new Today we are talking about Akhenaten, who was also known as Amenhotep IV. I'll explain the name change later, but just know that I'm going to be using both of those names somewhat interchangeably throughout this episode. Akhenaten was one of the most controversial pharaohs to ever rule over Egypt during his 17-year reign. He was so controversial, in fact, that he has been known as the rebel pharaoh or the heretic fellow. Fellow? Heretic fellow? Heretic Heretic pharaoh. He completely shook up Egyptian culture, religion, and art during his time as pharaoh, unlike any other pharaoh before or after him. This is just how controversial he was. After he died... Monuments of his were destroyed, his image on sculptures, statues, and other artwork was removed, and his name was even expunged from the list of pharaohs so that Egyptians could pretend like his reign had never happened. We will find out why shortly, but I'm going to hand it off now to you, Leah, for this week's cocktail segment. I'm just so 
happy to say like the transition to the cocktail segment isn't going to be awkward for this one Mm -hmm. because like it's not super depressing perfectly normal okay i mean you know a man did get erased from history but whatever um (laughs) (laughs) okay so buckle up because i am almost positive that you'll love this cocktail unlike the last one (laughs) still trying to get the taste out of my mouth Yes. So today's cocktail is the Faro Cooler. So it contains one and a third ounce tequila, one and a third ounce watermelon juice, a half (laughs) ounce of lime juice, a half ounce of grenadine, two dashes of orange flower water, whatever the frick that is, and then top it off with club soda. So I had to do a lot of shopping for this one, but I, I feel like it's going to be worth it. I love every single one of those ingredients that you put in there. Yeah, and I also feel like I put more than two dashes of orange flower oh, water me too. in mine. But I mean, whatever. Me too. No, I I am so excited because the drink is pink, which most pink drinks I like. Mm-hmm. Except the last one. <sighs> it was more red. Was it? Okay. Mine was more red. Was yours more pink? Yeah, mine was pink. It was a different kind of pink, but it was definitely pink. (laughs) We had different drinks. Mine was like blood red. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it basically just sounds like a really weird watermelon-y margarita, which is generally our drink of choice when we go out together, right? Every single time. Right. Okay. They know us at Chili's. They're like, okay, what can I get you guys? Two watermelon margaritas? Cool. Yeah. Pretty every much. time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I'm going to be honest, I found pretty much zero historical facts about this drink, with exception of one, and it doesn't go back that far, Rachel. So this cocktail was served, get ready, <laughs> at the 2013 Great Gugamuga Festival Stop. in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Gugamuga? Yeah. It, in fact, I believe that is where it was created, question mark? I, <laughs> there's not a lot of detail about this, but it's a more recent drink. Not a ton of history, but it's called the Pharaoh, and it has tequila and watermelon juice. So cheers. Let's drink. Cheers. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, let me have another sip. No? No, no, no. It's not a bad one. It's a, it's a, there's so many flavors in it. That's there what really it is. Are. It's, it's like, I'm letting each one hit my taste buds. So let me try this again. I think I would want more lime juice in it next time. But other than that. Yeah, I think more lime, maybe a tiny, tiny bit more watermelon. Um, no, I love it. It's just, there are so many flavors. I can literally feel like each one hitting different taste buds. Yeah. And let me just share with you that one and a third ounce of tequila is about a shot glass full of tequila, in case you're wondering. Um, I, I Googled it and <laughs> I learned the same thing. So I poured it because a shot glass is like one and a half ounces. So I poured one and a half. Yes, that's I, I did okay. a shot. Glass, we, yeah. we made the exact same drink then. OK. OK. Um, This one is good. It's definitely a cooler. It's one like during the summer I would it would be delicious at a party, like a huge pitcher of it just to pass around. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. put it, yeah, put it in a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Summer's almost over, so go ahead and throw a party, Leah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good stuff. So, 
before we dive into the details of what made Akhenaten so controversial, what I actually want to do first is drop some really quick facts about him, because I think a lot of people don't know that they do know this pharaoh. Here are a couple of quick but well-known facts that will totally jog your memory about this guy. He was the father of the future King Tutankhamun, more commonly known as King Tut. King Tut is infamous because he was just a boy when he became king. Tut is also infamous because of the amazing discovery of his completely intact tomb in 1922. That discovery gave us so much insight into Egyptian culture. And if you ever have some time and want to do some research on your own, hop online and check out all the fascinating treasures that Howard Carter and his team discovered in King Tut's tomb. Another well-known fact about Akhenaten, his wife was the infamous Nefertiti. Nefertiti is well-known both because she was a very powerful queen during her husband's reign, but also because she was considered to be the most beautiful woman in all the world during her lifetime. We'll talk about both of these pieces later on, but I just wanted to give a quick couple facts for context and to help anyone out there to um, recall exactly who this guy was. So starting at the beginning of his reign, Amenhotep IV, as he was known then, his reign as Pharaoh of Egypt, it began in either 1351 or 1353 BC. Keep in mind throughout this whole episode that because so many of the records about Akhenaten were destroyed, things like dates and other little details are kind of fuzzy. But anyway, we do know that his reign began in either 1351 or 1353 BC. What we don't know is if he became pharaoh upon the death of his father, or if he actually reigned alongside his father in a co-regency for some time period prior to becoming a sole pharaoh. Something we do know is that he only became pharaoh due to the untimely death of his brother, who actually would have succeeded his father. And there is actually evidence that Amenhotep IV was not well-liked amongst his family. He was not depicted in family portraits, nor was he involved in public outings or events. Ouch, that's really harsh. Yeah, the only person that really loved and supported him was, who do you think? Mama? His mama! And is this the right time to mention that there is potential evidence that he and his mother continue to have a very close relationship for the rest of his life. Like, very close, as in he and his mother potentially had a romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so it's also around this time that Amenhotep IV married his primary wife and most likely half-sister, Nefertiti, Nefertiti is best known because of the bust of her that was discovered in 1912. This bust has been iconic of the Egyptian culture and is one of the most duplicated pieces of Egyptian art ever. Leah, although I know you've seen the bust no less than a dozen times, I have uploaded a picture of it for you to describe for our listeners. Um, it's a statue of a head of a very Egyptian looking person. Um, with the big headdress and she's, she is very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's a little cross-eyed though. She's actually, she's 
We'll upload these pictures later for everyone to see. In case you don't remember exactly what the bust of Nefertiti looks like, one of the eyeballs is missing. <laughs> and that's like a whole story in and of itself. I didn't go into detail in that in this episode. Oh. But it's possible. It's possible it's just like over time it wore down. Yeah. It's possible. There's like um, one of my favorite stories about it is that the guy that the artist that was creating the bust, he fell in love with her and got so distracted that he forgot to put the other eye on. That's one of the stories. Okay. Um, there, <laughs> there are other stories that maybe like in the um, Egyptian religion, there was an all seeing eye. And so maybe it's like a religious kind of side story is why she's missing one eye. I truthfully, I think this thing is thousands of years old. I think it just wore down over time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think regardless of the eyeball thing, you can see that she's really, really beautiful. For sure. The high cheekbones, the super long neck, the perfect nose, the oval shaped eyes. Of course, as with nearly everything in history, there is some discrepancy about her appearance based on this bust. There's speculation as to whether this is really what she looked like or not. In 2009, there was a CT scan done of the bust that found that underneath the beautiful, smooth, final image of Nefertiti, the artist actually had a base face that was more wrinkled and even had a big old bump on her nose. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. We'll never know what Nefertiti looked like exactly, but the name Nefertiti is of Egyptian origin, and it literally means the beautiful one has come. So I think there is pretty good evidence to support that she was a really beautiful woman. Nefertiti and Akhenaten, they ended up having six daughters together, and there's evidence showing that they had a truly loving and affectionate relationship. Despite the fact that Akhenaten had other wives and partners, Nefertiti was always considered his chief wife. Just a side note that I want to insert here, just because I don't want there to be any confusion. Nefertiti produced all daughters. She was not the mother of Tut. In fact, the mother of Tut was Akhenaten's own biological sister. Ugh, yeah. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you hear stories about the incest in ancient Egypt, but jeez. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. Anyway, so... Amenhotep IV, he becomes pharaoh, and he starts shaking stuff up pretty shortly thereafter. The number one thing that Akhenaten is most known for, and his overwhelming legacy, is in relation to religion. Akhenaten forced monotheism on Egypt, meaning that he changed the religion so that Egyptians only worshipped one god rather than several, and that god was Aten. Leah, I've uploaded the symbol depicting Aten for you to describe. Yes, it it, it looks like um like a child's depiction of a sun, but with the end of the rays of the sun, looks kind of looks like hands reaching downwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hands, and the purpose of that was saying um basically that Aten, this sun disc god, he was reaching down to Pharaoh. This is at the time, six years into his reign, that Amenhotep IV changed his name to Akhenaten, which meant effective for Aten. He also claimed to be in direct communication with Aten, and by association was a god himself. 
He had the Egyptian people remove depictions of other gods that they had long worshipped and replace everything with only the sun disk god, Aten. This was huge and truly revolutionary. It really confused people and even messed with their minds a bit. Many Egyptians became fearful of what would happen to them in the afterlife if they were no longer worshipping the various different gods. Akhenaten also shook things up by moving the royal capital from Thebes to Armana and having temples for Aten constructed there. But I just can't freaking imagine like living in a society where someone's just like, oh, by the way, um, today we're worshiping this different god. And if you have to and if you don't, you're going to be killed or whatever. Like, that's crazy. But but. Not playing devil's advocate necessarily, but I think like when you're raised in those types of cultures, it bec- it's like the people that are raised in um, cults and stuff, they like really truly believe if I don't have sex with father or whoever, the, the priest or whatever, I'm not going to get to go to heaven. Yeah. Like they're that brainwashed. So they really believe it. Yeah. And I guess if you believe that the Pharaoh is like sent from the gods and he's the word of the gods, then you just have to go with whatever he's saying. Mm hmm. It's crazy. It is crazy. It doesn't appear as though the vast majority of people followed suit with the monotheism, though, because we can see now just how many Egyptians' names, um, when we're studying this time period in history, they still had names containing references to other gods. In fact, even the man that created the bust of Nefertiti, his name was Thutmost, which is a name that references the god Thoth. It kind of sounds like utmost. Yeah, it does. Just so that everyone knows this, I am super conscious um, of being very respectful of all of these names and the pronunciation of them all. So for every single episode that we put out, I have done like thorough research and listened to 700 YouTube videos about how exactly to pronounce these names. (laughs) That's just a side note, just so everyone knows. She tries, guys. I try. Another huge impact that Akhenaten had was in the world of art and the way in which the royal family was depicted. Unlike the strong images of prior pharaohs, Akhenaten called for more realistic depictions to be created. Leah, I've uploaded a picture for you to look at. Um, It's pictures, it's called number one and number two. They show the depictions of Egyptian royalty from before Akhenaten's reign. And then the other one, number two, is from his time period. And I want you just to tell me some of the differences that you spot. Well, first of all, headdress um, is very different. I don't know if that makes a difference, but... Mm -hmm. No, it does. Cool. I'm glad I'm on the right track here. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Also, they're like... Everybody's seen Egyptian hieroglyphs. The entire like painting is surrounded by Egyptian hieroglyphs, a bunch of different ones, some of which I even recognize as being like ancient Egyptian gods. One of the characters in it looks like he's has a bird face, which I think is another depiction of a god. So lots of different gods. Yes. And then the other thing I'm going to steer you in one direction. Okay. Check out um, like their body types and body shapes. Okay, their body shape, I would describe it as very, like, straight-angled, mm-hmm. um, skinny, thin, I don't know. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, you're on the right track. Okay, going to the, oh, yeah. Okay, going to number two, 
again, headdresses are very different. Um, you can see the main symbol, like as a background image, is definitely the image of the the sun god, or what? What's mm-hmm. the name of it? Aten. Aten. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some hieroglyphs behind that, but it looks more like writing rather than like a hieroglyph of like a depiction of a god or something. Uh-huh. And then body type, you see some gut. Yes. You see a belly hanging out. <laughs> Yes. Am I right? You're one trillion percent right. That's literally what I'm just about to talk about. Can I also just say that I'm about to finish my drink? It was so good. What? Yeah. It's because I'm talking this whole time. I know. You pretty much talk the whole time. So. <laughs> I'm like halfway through. It, it's really good. It's definitely a cooler. That's like mm-hmm. the perfect name for it. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... Not only in those pictures, not only were the body types and such depicted differently, it's even the activities that the royalty were engaged in, in that artwork that were depicted differently. Prior to um, Akhenaten's period, images of the royal family were more stoic and they were very poised. But during Akhenaten's reign, you can see from the pictures that some of them, they're showing them eating together or showing affection to one another and engaging in normal everyday activities. Mm. It almost looks as if they are a candid picture, like they're caught mid-action. This was seriously so revolutionary. This had never been done before. And so interesting. Isn't it? Just like when you're looking at it more, it's every time I go to like a museum, like an art museum, and you're kind of standing there like, hmm, you don't really know what you're looking at. When someone explains it to you, you're like, oh my gosh, I see it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like like in the second one, they're like holding babies and just chilling with their babies. And showing like showing affection to their family and just hanging out. Versus that first picture that's very, very stoic and definitely posed. So going back to the differences in body types, like you mentioned, you can see the protruding stomachs, the wide hips, the huge heads. Those have all actually caused historians to speculate as to whether Akhenaten and potentially his family, since remember there was so much inbreeding going on, Historians have wondered if Akhenaten actually suffered from an illness that would cause these body deformities. Yes. Yeah. Specifically, many historians believe he suffered from Marfan syndrome. Marfan syndrome is a genetic disorder involving the body's connective tissues with symptoms such as those depicted in this new revolutionary Egyptian artwork. The long necks, heads, arms, the protruding stomachs, the big hips. Of course, it's possible that Akhenaten did not suffer from Marfan's at all. It's possible that he was just inspired and interested in taking Egyptian art in a new direction. Although Akhenaten's remains have never officially been found, there is a skull found amongst ancient ruins that has been attributed to Akhenaten by some historians. There are a lot of pictures in this episode, Leah. I have uploaded yet another one for you to look at. And this is a picture of that skull that I was just talking about. And I want you to check it out and let me know what you think. Wowza, like (laughs) big head. (laughs) That's all I have to say about it, really. It's like a skull, but 12 times the width of a normal skull. And it's super long in the back, right? Yeah, like that. Yeah, like it's long from the front of the school to the back of the school. 
Yeah, I'm sure it won't come as much as a surprise to say that people have speculated whether Akhenaten was possibly part extraterrestrial. (laughs) I know, I know. For you listeners that cannot see, I am indeed rolling my eyes. We do love to get into controversies here on this podcast, but I'm not going to take us quite that far. Just know that it is indeed a theory that is out there, and I can't disagree that this skull definitely looks like what the typical depiction of an alien head looks like. Anyway, I digress. The most fascinating thing about the change in art is why exactly Akhenaten would want himself and his family depicted in such a way. Similar to kind of what you were saying earlier, Leah, when describing the pre-Akhenaten reign pictures with those created during his reign, they almost look grotesque. And they certainly depict the royal family as being weaker in comparison to the strong, tall, and muscular royals drawn in the past. For sure. Remember how I said earlier that Akhenaten had moved the capital from Thebes and built it in Armana? Well, there was a bunch of controversy, of course, surrounding that as well. In order for the construction of the temples at Armana to be possible, it required the work of 20,000 people working day and night, quite literally doing back-breaking work. In fact, when the bodies of these workers were found by historians years and years later, it was found that a third of the bodies had broken spines, while the remaining two-thirds had some form of other broken bones. All of this was from building Akhenaten's demanded armana. So, like, when they say backbreaking work. They literally mean it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna stop using I'm gonna stop using that phrase for my job. Like, oh, this is such backbreaking work. <laughs> oh my god. So Akhenaten died during his 17th year as Pharaoh. It is interesting that all mention of Nefertiti appears to have disappeared around the twelfth year of her husband's reign. There is, of course, the most popular theory that she died and that that is why she is not mentioned again. But there's also some pretty interesting speculation that perhaps Nefertiti changed her name to... Neferne Furuaten. Neferne Furuaten. Good, yeah. Let's go with that. I did really look up the pronunciation because I am very respectful of this stuff, but I still couldn't get it. Yeah, it's Nef... Nerwaten, because right around this time, towards the end of Akhenaten's reign, he was seen alongside another king named Nefernuaten in several of his monuments. There is some pretty controversial speculation that perhaps Nefertiti was elevated to a male pharaoh status in those last few years and actually ruled alongside Akhenaten. Okay, that's really freaking cool. Isn't that so cool? That's really cool. Looking at the names side by side, you can see how, like, maybe she took on a more male name. It still has the same essence as her feminine name. Yeah. No, very, very cool. There's even speculation that she perhaps ruled for a short period of time all on her own after he passed away. But that's a whole other story for a whole other episode that I can guarantee we are going to do. Sweet. Within the decade following Akhenaten's death, Egyptian culture reverted back to the way it had been prior to his reign. Religion and artwork returned to how it had been, and like I mentioned earlier, the artwork and infrastructures that had been created of Akhenaten were destroyed and defaced, 
Also, like I mentioned earlier, Akhenaten's name was removed from the list of pharaohs as an attempt to figuratively remove him and monotheism from Egyptian history. It was only when the remains of Armana were found by historians thousands of years later that one of Egypt's most controversial pharaohs became known. And that's all we've got for you guys this week. But keep thinking Egypt because we will be headed right back there next week for one of history's most controversial and most devastating incidents that although it occurred during the ancient civilization times, it still affects us to this day. Mm -hmm. As always, we have a link to our website in the show notes so you can see all of the photos that were mentioned in this episode, as well as links to all of our sources. We will also be posting the pictures to our Instagram. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to hashtag history on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend and give us a rate and review. And be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Like Rachel said, this is also where we post pictures from the episode. But in addition to that, we do awesome things, obviously, like hashtag uh, woman crush Wednesdays, hashtag WCWs for important women throughout history. Woohoo. Yes. We post pictures and ingredients for all of these cocktails that we are trying out so you guys can try them with us. And then we also just post really funny stories and behind the scenes bits. I think they're funny. No, we're hilarious. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely follow us. Hashtag history underscore podcast. Woohoo. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>